0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Eat
1: well, move more, sleep more, practice, you know, be more grateful, make more love right get get light like live as close to sunlight as you can you know out in the world actually on our skin in our foods right all of those kinds of things and then and then sequence in so you spoke about hedonic engineering like the art of engineering happiness right sequence peak states peer and periodize them just like you would for weightlifting you know have a once a day moment it could be as short as three minutes of silent you know meditation or a heart rate variability app once a week, right? Shoot the moon a little bit more, right? That's the, the, the quote-unquote church experience. It could be for me, it's a stand-up paddle on the river where I live on a Sunday morning, right? Once a month, go a little bigger. Once a quarter, once a year. And you can periodize your moments of ecstasis so that you are skillfully stepping outside yourself to remind yourself, oh, yeah, it's a monkey suit and there's a zipper. Don't let it get encrusted and rusty. And, and then let me have foundational practices that raise my physical system and increase my overall energy. And let me have non-ordinary states that inspire me, kick my ass, remind me there's something more, knock me out of my rut. Stephen was talking about that lateral thinking and kind of the benefits of that. And repeat.
2: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com.
3: A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend.
4: With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years.
3: Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest
4: sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bolin brand sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin brand sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code BUTTERY. So head to B-O-L-L and branch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
5: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How get 30, 30, bit get
0: 30, how get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month?
5: So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
3: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right?
2: Stephen and Jamie, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
5: Thanks for having us. Yeah,
2: Yeah, it is really cool to have you back here. Um, You know, Stephen, we had you here very recently to talk about the neuroscience of flow, specifically because I've made references to it in my previous book. And funny enough, I I have an entire section dedicated to it in my upcoming book. So when you told me you had a new book um, that goes beyond what we had talked about in the past, I was kind of, you know, really, really intrigued. And then I had a chance to read it and I was like, holy shit, this is like a whole other level. This goes so far beyond flow. But uh, So where I want to start is by asking you kind of what prompted this book in particular? Like what was uh, the impetus that led to this after all the work that you've already done around flow?
5: Well, you know, it came from a, it came from a, a couple of places. One, I mean, the first place it came from was, you know, Jamie Wheel's brain. Um, he, we, we had been doing, we had been running around the country before Rise came out, Flow Genome Project was training people in high performance, but we were primarily working with sort of C-suite executives, um, top action adventure sport athletes, really, really, really high performers already. And Rise came out and we found ourselves talking to a much wider, more diverse population that you know went from like morgan stanley bankers through silicon valley uh high tech you know giants through uh the u.s special forces and it really didn't matter where we went everywhere we went we'd present on flow which you gotta understand flow is an altered state of consciousness and we're on stage and we're essentially talking to people about the high performance benefits of an altered state which is a little bit bizarre, right, in business context, right, it's just, to me, you know, it's just a little strange, right, and you, you just got to say it out loud, and we would finished these presentations, and people would start rushing up to us afterwards and going, oh, yeah, this flow stuff is great, it's amazing, I, I was doing a bunch of it, and I didn't realize it, and I'm going to integrate it more, but, you know, we're doing a whole bunch of other stuff, We are, you know, as a rule, everybody is zapping their, you know, brains with electrodes to induce, you know, transient hypofrontality and artificially stimulate flows so we can do better financial analysis on Wall Street, or whole team is going to silent meditation retreats, or whole team is going to tantric sex workshops, or whole teams (laughs) are microdosing with psychedelics and everywhere we went, like, we're talking about one non-ordinary state of consciousness, but... People are sampling from the full non-ordinary menu. And it, I started to go, wow, this, this, this is, I, I, I wonder if we can put some numbers around it. And Jamie started to go, dude, I think we're looking at a revolution. And, you know, we started working the numbers and Jamie started, you know, went on a mission and went everywhere in the world to figure out if we really were. And we came back together and went, holy crap, this is a lot bigger than we thought it was and really important and maybe we should write a book about it.
2: Hmm. All right. So I have an observation and then I'm just curious kind of what both of you would have to say about this. And I was thinking about this as I was, you know, writing my, my uh, second book and I kept coming back to this thought. And I was like, wow, I don't think I ever understood what flow actually felt like until I had surfed. I mean, and I was 30, 30 years old, 31 years old when that happened. Like I could never look back at any of my life experiences, you know, between college and all the way to finishing graduate school. Where I could say in that working environment, I felt like I was in flow, and I'm curious why that is. Like, why is it that you could possibly go through so much of life? I I feel like, oh my god, to have gone through life without ever experiencing that would have been missing out on the fundamental experience of what it means to be human.
1: Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. absolutely, and and I think that's kind of fundamentally the trouble with 21st century normal Mm -hmm. these days is that we have done such a good job, and if you really want to geek out about it, you can kind of trace the intellectual origins back to the French Enlightenment, you know, but this emphasis on reason, ration empiricism, uh, separate uh, rational individualism, right, that we have just wrung the absolute last useful drops out of. And then, you know, you just alluded to going to, you know, a, a, a career in academia, you know, undergrad, grad school, all those kind of things, which fundamentally continues to reinforce and select for one specific channel. Of waking state consciousness Mm -hmm. and it's fundamentally prefrontal cortex highly engaged beta wave activity and you know these days usually kind of a drip drip of stress chemicals you know norepinephrine cortisol those kind of things and for most of us we don't even realize there's a knob to change channels Mm -hmm. and so to step out of that to have an experience that feel you know for you it was it sounded like you know getting into surfing and experiencing flow that way Um, but for any of us to just to just realize there are other channels that are both accessible and permissible and useful um, is a bit of a sea change realization. And in many respects that's kind of that's that's the, the thrust of the boat.
2: So do you think you know people are starting to pay more attention to it now than they have in the past because we finally have sort of the scientific evidence to back it up as opposed to sort of the anecdotal uh conversations that people like surfers and extreme sports athletes were able
5: to have about this it's interesting because the truth of the matter is we had the scientific evidence 100 years ago, 100 years, 1902, William James, Harvard psychologist, philosopher, physician, got, you know, they, they, there are a lot of people who claim he's the only, he's the only legitimate American philosopher. Um, he's definitely the godfather of American psychology, published the varieties of religious experience, and he pointed out, you know, very, very clearly that a certain suite of non-ordinary states of consciousness sort of stretching from... Awe and flow states through trance states and mystical states like out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, through meditative and contemplative experiences. He included philosophers having aha moments. That bandwidth, what I would call the bandwidth of experiences that are north of happy or the kind of the upper possibility space of human experience, um, those are all the channels that Jamie was just alluding to, right, that you can switch to. And he pointed out 100 years ago, after 30 years of research, a massive research project, that, hey, these are revelatory states. They unlock levels of performance, unaccessible at other times. They unlock levels of insight and inspiration, un- unavailable at other times. They seem to heal anxiety, depression, trauma in ways that are substantial. He pointed all this out in 1902. We did a hundred year detour around his ideas for a variety of reasons. Um, And here we are, you know, all the while, by the way, the evidence, you know, kept mounting and kept mounting and kept mounting. The real shift, I think there's a couple of real shifts in what we're seeing today, is, you know, first of all, there's a shift in language. We now have language for a lot of these things. We can talk about them out loud and in public and we don't have to resort to kind of new age mystical language that that doesn't make as much sense. There's a, science has provided, you know, maps of the territory for sure for the very first time. And it's, you know, even if you just want to talk about so-called mystical experiences, the list of mystical experiences that we have now used contemporary brain imaging to study you know, starts at awe and goes through near death experiences and speaking in tongues and take your pick. We've looked under the hood of all this stuff for the very first time. We've also gotten very, very clear on impact. And we've gotten clear enough on impact that we can now do comparisons. We can say, wow, turns out that these non ordinary states can all heal severe trauma. The best example is PTSD and we discovered through studies run by MAPS and a psychologist named Michael Mithoffer offered that two to three sessions of psychedelic therapy can completely cure PTSD in victims of sexual abuse, child abuse, or war trauma. They then re-ran that study with 1,000 soldiers at Camp Pendleton, and instead of using a psychedelic, they used surfing as a trigger for flow, and they ran it in 1,000 Soldiers and they found that five weeks of surfing, which produces a, another non-ordinary state, can completely cure PTSD. And they reran the study with meditation and found four weeks of meditation does the same thing. So we're starting to like, not only can we talk clearly about mechanism, or more clearly, mm-hmm. um, we can also talk about impact and we can compare and contrast impact. We've never been able to do any of those things before And it's, you know, from a hacker's perspective, you're interested in making your own life better, right, we can now unlock levels of performance that were unheard of. And we're literally, you know, kind of beyond, as we say in the book, beyond the pale of polite society up till very recently, right? Forbidden knowledge, Uh not so more anymore.
2: So we'll get into all of that because I know you talked about advances in four specific areas, but there's another <clears throat> sort of observation and question I wanted to ask you. You, know, you guys talked uh, you know, early in the book about sort of the evolution of the human potential movement with things like and uh, Est, and Landmark. And <clears throat> you know, having been through Landmark, having done my fair share of personal development, I heard something that Dan Kennedy said um, in one of his seminars on wealth attraction. He happened to be sitting in a barber chair next to Warner Earhart, and he said sum up the whole Landmark thing for me in one sentence, and he said, we sell independence and we breed dependence, which I thought was really kind of disturbing considering, you know, many people go to Landmark to make breakthroughs, and this is something that I have been really curious about, and I'm curious to find out what you guys have figured out might be an answer to this based on your work, is I've seen this sort of vicious cycle of personal development where people don't actually experience change as a result of their efforts, like they get separated into these three groups, which I call the people who would change regardless of whether they made the effort or not, the people who, you know, maybe this thing, this seminar, this coach, or whoever it is, will be a catalyst for, and then the vicious cycle people who are basically caught up in, you know, inspiration and new age bullshit, but nothing in their life actually changes. And I'm pretty convinced that those people pretty much fuel the entire revenue of the personal development industry. And yeah. so I, I guess the the question really is, are we at a point now where we're going going to be able to use science to bridge that gap between who we are and who we want to be? And are we going to basically be able to take somebody who might be ordinary and turn them into extraordinary human beings like almost Elon Musk-like, which I realize Mm. is a whole landmine of questions?
1: Yeah, that was a a bunch all bundled together. So one (laughs) felt, felt like a potential critique of the Info market or spiritual marketplace, sure, right? Yeah. We'd love to take a dive on. And then there's also the sort of perfectibility of man, and do we have some newer, better mousetrap mm-hmm. uh, these days, right? So, so the first thing is, I, mean, I would absolutely, I think we would completely agree. And even though we gave Werner Erhard a relatively even-handed treatment in the book, there's enough, there's enough of our positioning there that I think you can kind of see our take on on how it all goes down, uh-huh. which is fundamentally, you know, Maslow's pyramid scheme, you know, and you have a, you have a lot of. A lot of <laughs> <laughs>
5: you, you've got a lot of,
1: of money changers in the temple, uh-huh. and you, you have people that are co-opting their own brief whiffs or glimpses of transcendence, of ecstasis, what we would call in the book, any of these states or experiences that take you literally outside yourself. And no sooner do they have that glimpse, whether it's I've gone to Landmark and I start repackaging their shit, or whether it's I've gone to a Vipassana retreat or, or down to Peru for ayahuasca or, or to Burning Man. Mm-hmm. And, the, and no sooner am I having these epiphanies than I'm, than I'm you know conjuring up my next Facebook post or <laughs> my next info product. And would like to offer just a giant fuck off to all those people because, <laughs> because that feels incredibly cynical
2: uh-huh.
1: and of and, and and zero service, particularly to that bottom third of the, of the, of the guppies, uh-huh. you know, of, of the folks that are having their insecurities played upon. And now you've got people camping out on the doorstep of the, of the mystery, turning around and selling trinkets to the latecomers. And, and that feels, you know, insidious and, and in some respects, you know, mind boggling. And then the big giveaway is always, you know, check what these folks were doing five years ago,
2: uh-huh.
1: right? Were they doing something with n- n- neuro, neurobiology and consciousness or were they selling, were they pickup artists uh, or were they selling the next business model or the secret? Yeah. And as soon as you see, you trace their lineages and you see, oh, they just sell shit to people. Then then this is just the latest and greatest thing to, you know, latest bumper sticker to slap over it versus a, a career, a vocation or a, or a lineage practice. So I think there are an awful lot of landmines. There's tons of people rushing into this space. Yeah. And there are very few that are truly that are truly teaching independence. So the thing that we're you know most interested in this is, is how do you get into this stuff? And stay content neutral Uh because everybody's everybody's got a just so story about the way the universe really works or the way financial abundance really works or whatever these things are. And they're usually all, you know, very much happy, you know, fluffy bunny just so stories Mm -hmm. contingent on you forking over five grand or 10 grand for the next platinum titanium mastermind. And and so there's always the hook. Um, to, to bring people along. So the question is, is, you know, is there an operating system that we can all share and install that is content neutral, meaning go conduct the experiments for yourself, see what you find, N equals one, you are your own experiment, and honor and support autonomy, agency, and discernment in everybody. Because it's a slightly slower road. You know, you don't get all those behavioral economics, you know, psychological shell game, urgency and scarcity and all those triggers that the infomarketers use so skillfully and quite often cynically. But you do get self, self-authoring self human beings at the end of it. So it's a little slower to start with, but hopefully more stable and more enduring and fundamentally just feels better yeah. in the long. Yeah.
5: Yeah, it is I'd interesting. like to add sorry, ahead, the, one, the, one, the one, and it, to, to me, there are lots of great points in the book, um, but to me, the most important one, and the stand we actually take, is for an open source approach, which is just what Jamie's been advocating for, right? when Everybody's data counts, right? But it's just your individual experience. When a hundred thousand people are having the same individual experience, well that's interesting. Let's take a closer look, right? But we want it's an open source big data approach um, that, you know, everybody has to get involved in because this stuff, it is really easy to take it into commercialization, to take it into militarization, to take it in a lot of unpleasant, you know, directions. And the only way to kind of battle back against that is an open source project. So sorry about the soapbox interruption, but I had to add that point.
2: Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate all, all of what you said because you know I was thinking to myself this morning, I was like, wow, like, if you look at really personal development as, as an industry and infomarketers, it was like you basically either selling sex, money, or weight loss, one of those three in some form or another. Yeah, absolutely.
5: Absolutely, uh, and you know what? We're selling all those things, but you get the Ginsu knife. Mm -hmm. So it dices and it slices and it chops.
2: Well, I mean, I I think what I've always appreciated about what your work, uh, you know, does, and also people like Sean Acor, who's a happiness researcher, is that it's actually based in, you know, scientific evidence um, and not just a bunch of inspirational New Age bullshit.
1: Yeah, and, and, and there is also that additional step, Beyond the scientific evidence, because I mean, you also see kind of the, the wow. emergence of sort of blogger neuro porn,
2: uh-huh.
1: you know, where, where it's like, oh, you know, just throw throw around the word dopamine or oxytocin <laughs> or whatever it is. And people just kind of, you know, wet themselves for 800 words. And you, and, and you realize that this, too, is just the, this, this is the the fad of the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives people permission. And in a lot of respects this is what happened to flow research back in the seventies. You know, so High University of Chicago doing legit research. And then suddenly every new age wannabe personal life coach adapted flow, ran it into the ground, missed all of the nuances and, and really, you know, fundamentally kind of ghettoized the research and the, and the brand, if you will. So. Near yeah. This, by the way, when we
5: started, I mean, we started FGP literally, um, because it, like, it was impo- you, you could not fund the research in America anymore. The door was just shut. You couldn't do it inside of academia. A bunch of academics came to academics came to us and said, "Look, we can't do this, but we want to help you. So please do this, and and, and we'll get involved." Because, um, like, Jamie's, you know, pointing out that like when this went wrong, it shut down research. We saw the same thing with psychedelics in the '60s, mm-hmm. right? There was a thousand thousand peer-reviewed papers were published before psychedelic research was made illegal. Psychedelics as a potential cure for alcoholism, addiction, recidivism, as an expander of empathy, creativity, problem-solving. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and it got mishandled and you know popularized you know without regard for skillful deployment and. You know, it cost us 40, 50 years and now, you know, finally, right, we're getting the first level of, of, of new research and it turns out that, you know, a lot of what is wrong with us, if we can change the channel on consciousness using psychedelics or other tools, um, we can fix. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so the new, the new age and the kind of rah-rah deployment that tends to go along with these kind of ecstatic technologies um, can be really dangerous. Can shut these can shut these projects down yeah
1: and, and, and I would and I would say also that I mean for sure, having scientific terminology and, and evidence based research is immeasurably helpful and, um, and and subject quite likely to the same degradations that we were just describing with flow research and psychedelic research mm-hmm. so to me the most Uh, interesting and exciting breakthrough that really does feel relatively new newly emergent Mm -hmm. is that at this point we now realize oh there are literally dozens of doors to walk through into these comparably non-ordinary states and experiences Mm -hmm. therefore this has now become practice-based so it's back to that experimental and experiential culture which is just here's here's the cookbook go do it don't just read about it don't just repackage it don't just sell it to other people go do it Uh and and then you'll know and then we'll know that you know and there's a conversation to be had thereafter because we've all got authentic data of our own yeah
2: So I want to talk about the advances in those four fields, but I want to go back to one other question. Um, I'm curious, I mean, does this open up the potential for us to have sort of outsized success, you know, at the level of sort of the people we look at as icons in our culture, like the Richard Branson's, the Elon Musk's, the Steve Jobs? I mean, is that, are we at a point where we can use biology and, and, you know, the ability to hack our own brains to be able to perform at that level?
5: You know, I've spent 30 years essentially looking at how do people do the impossible, right? And whether it's top innovators like, you know, Elon and Richard Branson and Larry Page and Jeff Bezos and Bold, or, you know, action adventure, sport athletes, or people inventing the future and tomorrow, and you know, take your pick. Um, and across the board, you see a number of commonalities, right? One of them is, and this is not, you know, n- new discovery for Steven Maslow pointed this out back in the 50s, um, Every successful person in the world has figured out how to change the channel on consciousness. They figured out how to utilize altered states, and 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 you know you've you, you've read *Stealing Fire*. The, the numbers in terms of the uptick and what's possible um, is significant, right? Like the DARPA research on on, on soldiers uh, learning 470% faster than normal, then creativity going up 400%. You know those kinds of those kinds of really big leaps. But what's really becoming revealed is that it appears that other states of consciousness non-ordinary states are the very tool evolution designed for us to kind of optimize in this way we have not paid attention to it as Jamie pointed out earlier because of the downstream impact of the enlightenment we favor one channel of consciousness the rational channel right and you know, we've elevated to a pinnacle and, you know, it turns out that you have to change that channel to unlock these levels of performance. So, you know, does this mean everybody gets to be Elon Musk? A, I sure hope not.
2: Um, <laughs> cause I,
5: I, yeah, I mean, really, like I think diversity is, is, is the key here. Mm-hmm. Diversity of ideas is the key here. and But I do think, wh- you know, this is the upper possibility space of human experience. It unlocks the best in all of us, right? Use skillfully, and this stuff can go wrong, horrifically wrong. These are sticky states with, you know, dangerous downsides. Hedonism is a real danger here. Mm-hmm. Um, so these have to be skillfully deployed. And, you know, as Jamie also pointed out, it's a practice-based thing now. So there are lots of different tools. There are lots of different ways in, and we have way more knowledge than ever before, so hopefully we can kind of map the territory and not get so terrifyingly lost along the way, um, as we have a habit of doing. But, you know, that's, that said, we, for the first time, we have a chance.
3: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away.
0: If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it.
4: Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
3: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance.
2: So I, this is a personal question just about my own sort of work and life. Um, you know, I mean, the first 10 years of my career, as most people who are listening know, were pretty much a complete disaster. Uh, do you think the reason for that is because I'd never experienced altered states of consciousness? consciousness? Because the contrast between that, that first 10 years and the last eight are night and day, like, I'm a different person.
1: Hmm. Can you give just a little bit of color on what you assign the disaster
2: to? Yeah, I mean, I've been fired from every real job I've ever been at. Um, And every boss I ever had wrote me off as somebody who would either not amount to anything or not interested in controlling my own destiny. And, you know, when I, you know, and here I am, you know, eight years later, having published a book and done a lot of things that probably seemed out of, you know, the scope of possibility at that time in my life. Got it.
1: Um, well, I mean, obviously, I mean, re- reductive short answer solutions are, are probably not going to get anywhere sure. near the whole truth of it. Yeah. Um, but one thing, you know, that we that we discuss in Stealing Fire is, hey, these non-ordinary states and they, and it tends to be surprisingly similar, regardless of the mechanism of action, meditation, flow states, psychedelic states, you know, smart tech, biotech, all of those kind of things tend to get us to that similar spot. And once we're in that similar spot, we often have an experience of selflessness. So we drop our waking state consciousness and our inner critic, a sense of timelessness. We, our attention focuses into what, what, what researchers would call the deep now, uh, a sense of effortlessness, meaning. And so this goes to your point of you know bosses saying you might never amount to anything. All right. A sense, a sense of autotelic or self-propelled meaning. So not willpower, not grit, not gotta, have to, must, but just can't help but will. Mm -hmm. Um, And then finally, richness, meaning access to extremely boosted amounts of information. And that information, often, because we make lateral connections, we have insights, breakthroughs, becomes inspiration. And then that inspiration, you know, cycled over time and brought into our lives and put on the ground in stable ways can become integration. And so if in the last eight years you've been experiencing, you know, more frequent laps, through that selflessness, timelessness, effortlessness, and richness, Mm. and you've been able to get more motivation, more information, and more inspiration, then I would imagine that that's, you know, part of what's fueling your books, part of what's fueling a lot, a lot of the platform you're building Mm. now.
2: Yeah. I mean, I get to have conversations with people like you every day, um, and there's been more than 700 of them. So I always wondered what has happened in my brain as a byproduct of all these conversations. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's do this. Um, I want to get into uh, four specific areas, because I know you dedicated four chapters specifically to these areas, which I thought were just fascinating. And I think people would find really informative. The advances that are being made in psychology, neurobiology, uh, pharmacology and technology. So um, one, you know, obviously, a couple of those terms are, are very clearly defined, we know what those are. But in cases where people may not be aware of the terms, can you define them and also talk about the specific advances that are being made in those areas?
5: Sure Steven. absolutely. Um, Jamie, why don't you start? why don't you jump in with psychology since um you were you were the one who saw the big picture here um and and you paint it well?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, I mean, the first thing, and this is one of those kind of it's like a creeper buzz, you know, we almost don't notice the how much our own psychology has expanded in the last half century and given us more room and permission to really kind of explore and integrate a far, a far more kind of expansive version of ourselves. So, you know, we, we tell the story, you know, many things are easily started kind of at the end of World War II, that kind of post-war era. But if you think of 1950s America, it was basically straight-jacketed versions of selfhood. You could kind of be the strong, silent, masculine, and if you weren't anything other than that, you repressed it. You could be the happy Susie homemaker, and if you weren't like that, you medicated it. I mean the whole Rolling Stones tune, Mama's Mother's Little Helper, you know, all that kind of just here's your cardboard cutouts. um, If they don't fit, tough shit, and everything else is marginalized or pathologized or repressed. And out of that, right, came the Beats in the 1950s. So the Jack Kerouac on the road, Allen Ginsberg and Howell, all this sense of like, hey, there's something more passionate and primal that has been paved over in this kind of, you know, suburban Levittown um, Americana. We're fighting to break those walls down that then continued into the burgeoning kind of hippie movement in the early to mid 60s that intersected sort of accidentally or coincidentally with the advent of access to widespread psychedelics Right, and you ended up with, you know, by the late '60s and, and early '70s, kind of the explosion and birth of the human potential movement. And you know, you alluded to Esselin, the Esselin Institute, which is in Big Sur, kind of it's been known as the Harvard of the human potential movement. Uh, Mike Murphy, George Leonard, Dick Price were some of the founders and leading lights of that space, and they really thought, oh wow, there's not a, there's not actually a lid or a ceiling to how powerful and how capable humans can become and from that and, and th- that that sort of really set up the investigations into the true human potential I mean it's become a catchphrase now but literally what is possible and they looked to the east they looked to the yoga traditions they looked to uh, athleticism they looked to all these different places where there was evidence that people could do the extraordinary and interestingly we, we were talking about this before we jumped on the call with you but obviously uh, Werner Erhe, And Est, which then became Landmark, that many people are familiar with, um, did something pretty interesting because Estland, for all of its kind of reputation as a bit of a hippy-dippy place kind of later in its history, in the early 60s, in the late 50s and early 60s when it got founded, it was actually remarkably focused and sober. Um, I mean, Mike Murphy, Dick Price, George Leonard, those guys were badasses, they were academics, they were intellectuals, they moved in academic and intellectual circles, they had lots of crossover with politics, governance, all sorts of things. And then it was just a bunch of hippies having to show up at the hot springs. So was, there's there was this classic irony with... With the Esalen culture that the people who founded it ended up with a tribe gathered around them that really was completely anathema to the thing they were trying to accomplish, which was much more sober, much more disciplined uh, than than the kind of hippie movement that sort of overran the place in the 70s and 80s. And so the thing that's interesting about that is like that was a very cool initial step, but it was quite highbrow and quite limited. It was very much, you know, academic, intellectual and Eastern. In its orientation, so they were very scholarly, and they were going deeply into the Eastern ascetic traditions um, as well as the academic strength. So that did not reach the masses, and it wasn't until we had when Erhard asked landmark basically, basically all of the precursors to Tony Robbins and Awaken the Giant, or you know, to Eckhart Tolle with Oprah. This kind of progression, where now the spiritual of the side of the human potential movement was recast in the protestant work ethic was recast in the american tradition of pull yourself up by your bootstraps whatever you can believe you can achieve and we had this very unique hybrid it's unique almost i mean it it is now rippled out around the world but its origins are quintessentially american which is blending spirituality and materialism and so there was all of this wonderful expansion of self Greater possibilities for me to consider and try on different expressions. I can try rage. I can try shame. I can try anger. I can try bliss and joy. All of these things are allowed now, um, but then also got coupled to the, the the Protestant work ethic. Got coupled to health, wealth, and happiness. And that's really the innovation or mutation that has pushed it has pushed you know sort of broader psychology out to you know tens of millions of people that would have otherwise never come across more formal lineage wisdom traditions or structured academic analysis.
2: Wow. So what about the neurobiology piece?
5: The neurobiology piece, and you sort of, I mean, the other three forces as well, pharmacology, technology, um, what we're seeing kind of across the boards is just a whole new suite of tools for unlocking these states. Neurobiology, uh, the field of neurotheology, right, the the use of brain imaging technology to study spiritual experiences sort of dates to work done at the University of Pennsylvania by a guy named Andrew Newberg, uh, uh, who is a neuroscientist and a psychologist named Eugene D'Aquilly in 1997, and they... Decoded the experience of oneness with everything, or what's known as unity, that shows up pretty much in every spiritual tradition on earth ever in history. Eldest Huxley called it the perennial philosophy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. William James said it was fundamental, the most mystical experiences. And from that point, 1997, so up to that point, like pre 1997, if you walk into a doctor's office and you say, Doc, I'm one with everything, they are locking you up in a padded cell. 1997, Andy Newberg figures out, oh wow, there's a part of the brain that actually separates self from other, um, that has to do this so we can kind of walk through space without bumping into furniture. Says the self ends here, and the rest of the world begins here. And in profound moments of meditation, when there's lots of focus and concentration, this part of the brain goes quiet, and the brain says, oh my god, at this one moment you are one with everything, because that's what it actually believes to be going on. So. The greatest kind of cosmic mystery in history is slightly decoded. Like, we know why this is happening in the brain. It is now 2017. We are, you know, 20 years later, and we have now decoded pretty much every experience you can think of, right? And we have this past year or past couple of years, we got the very first look at what LSD does to the brain. And, you know, the, I mean, the, it, it proved what our, we already knew. It's mind expansion, though you would technically call it network expansion. But we literally like, oh, wow, when all of these states take place, the brain makes far flung connections, regions that are normally incommunicado, strike up conversations, they form alliances, They paved the way for the, you know, future collaboration known as insight and creativity and problem solving, right? We can, we now, you know, have mapped all of these things. So all, you know, it's happening. Technology is expanding and and allowing us to do this. The neurobiologists are getting a deeper and deeper handle on what's going on in these non-ordinary states. The pharmacology is allowing us to kind of tune these states with increasing precision and gain access to them on demand. And as a result, you've got four accelerating forces that are unlocking some of the most controversial and misunderstood terrain in history. Hmm.
2: So, you know, the pharmacology piece, I know, Stephen, you and I talked a little bit last time about, um, you know, cognitive enhancers like modafinil. And, you know, I I thought it was really interesting kind of what you talked about in the book about it and how it's almost like cheating. But then you also see, you know, this sort of entire industry of nootropics coming up, Um, you know, things that people like Dave Asprey are doing, uh, things like the guys at NutraBox are doing. And I am just curious kind of what role all of those things play in the pharmacology aspect of being able to hack these states of consciousness
1: hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's again, this is max maximum hype cycle for all things <laughs>
2: stack, stackable, <True> that.
1: Stackable <laughs> and, and new mm-hmm. And really, as much as anything else is because people can put things in bottles and sell them to you at whatever price they can convince you to buy, because the stock reality is is that if you've got a placebo effect that is anywhere between thirty and forty percent, mm-hmm. and you've got FDA approved drugs like Zoloft that barely perform more than three to five percent above a sugar pill, right? That's your low end. Right? Straight up placebo. Zero cost and zero side effects. And then you're like, okay, so what is gonna meaningfully beat placebo effect by ten to twenty points or more? And you're like, okay, very quickly, you are in Schedule one, schedule two, chemical territory. Mm -hmm. And so the gap in between those, the kind of thing that you can get without a prescription, at a minimum, that is available online or in your local Whole Foods, that is going to demonstrably shift your performance and not just be incredibly expensive urine, is a very slim stack, despite the hundreds of millions of bucks that are getting made right now from people geeking out on this stuff. So, so, you know, I would just, you know, it's not, it, no one will say this out loud because everybody's got skin in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, but fundamentally, keep your goddamn money, people, and, and put it to work on, on, on much more simple things. Whole foods, life adventures, you know, philanthropy, the least of my brothers and sisters, you know, simple shit. Mm-hmm. Saving it away for retirement, but, but don't just flush it down your toilet on the off chance you're going to turn into Superman
2: overnight. Mm. All right, so that sort of takes me to to my next question, which is really about the practical application of all of this. There's a a section in the book where you say, by treating the mind like a dashboard, by treating different states of consciousness like apps to be judiciously deployed, we can bypass a lot of psychological storytelling and get results faster and often with less frustration. And the question that left me with, of course, was, okay, how? And it kind of, you know, took me. I believe into what might, maybe, the, the answer to my next question is exactly the answer to this question is that you you talk about this idea of hedonic engineering. So I was wondering if you guys could expand on that and talk about sort of bringing everything that we've talked about on a theoretical level into a uh, context of practical application in our daily lives.
1: Yeah, um, Stephen, you want me to take this one?
5: Yeah, take this one. you I mean, you, more more than any. I mean. You, you, you did spend, you know, 15 years, you know, tr- putting people into these states, uh, you know, in the real world uh, while, while, while I was reading books. So I <laughs> think you should speak to this one. <laughs> like, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, please.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, I mean, the simplest thing, so that notion of, of moving from operating system to user interface is really just as simple as saying, hey, for most of us, we've been born and raised you know, conflating one-to-one that who I am behind my eyes, living my psychological narrative and story equals me wholesale. And after you have enough experiences of ecstasis, of stepping outside yourself, you have to conclude because once you've stepped outside yourself and you're still there, you're like, oh, I guess I wasn't that version of me that I thought I was, that old monkey suit, right? So that, first of all, just repeat that experiment enough until you trust it. And that's, and that's, you know, true for insight meditation. It's true for, you know, most of the wisdom traditions around the world, how, whatever their techniques are, right? So first, get, wrap your head around that. And then you're like, okay, so what do I do with my psychological self once I realize it's not the whole show? And that's when we, do, we can say, hey, instead of spending 100% of our time thinking egoically, psychologically, linguistically, I can reduce that. I can whittle that down to about 20%. And I can just use basic maps and models for communication and occasional virus scans to make sure I'm not making shit up or going off the reservation. And then I can spend 80 percent of my time and bandwidth just monitoring my biopsychosocial self system, the rest of me. Right. And instead of like if I feel down or sad or grumpy, most of us will look around, will scan our life and we'll find the reason. It could be a person, it could be an event, it could be the traffic, it could be Obamacare, it could be my my (laughs) husband, it could be the dirty socks, it could be whatever it is. And I say, that's why I feel this way. And then we energize that narrative Right. And we engage in bullshit games people play to try and seek pleasure, avoid pain, have our have our narrative validated and move on through our day. Right. And that's how most of us work most of the time. And instead, you could be like, oh, feeling cranky, quick, check hydration levels. Hey, how about vitamin D exposure? Hey, how about cardio and musculature and diet? What's my glucose level in my blood system? So we can just change ourselves almost kind of in a Mr. Spock sort of way And shift the wallpaper of our minds and it's arguably a longer lever at a more foundational level of our existence and some of it is not sexy or at all it's just basic common sense you know eat well move more sleep more practice you know be more grateful make more love right get get light like live as close to sunlight as you can you know out in the world actually on our skin in our foods right all of those kinds of things and then and then sequence in so you spoke about hedonic engineering like the art of engineering happiness right sequence peak states peer and periodize them just like you would for weightlifting you know have a once a day moment it could be as short as three minutes of silent you know meditation or a heart rate variability app once a week, right? Shoot the moon a little bit more, right? That's the, the, the quote-unquote church experience. It could be for me, it's a stand-up paddle on the river where I live on a Sunday morning, right? Once a month, go a little bigger. Once a quarter, once a year. And you can periodize your moments of ecstasy so that you are skillfully stepping outside yourself to remind yourself, oh, yeah, it's a monkey suit and there's a zipper. Don't let it get encrusted and rusty, and, and then let me have foundational practices that raise my physical system and increase my overall energy, and let me have non-ordinary states that inspire me, kick my ass, remind me there's something more, knock me out of my rut. Stephen was talking about that lateral thinking and that kind of the benefits of that, and repeat. And we can literally kind of sculpt a life where instead of, am I happy? am I sad psychologically speaking I can just say more energy less energy and what is the most skillful and efficient means by which I increase and tune that system
2: wow well um this has just been mind-blowingly cool and uh really really not just you know educational but also very entertaining and uh you know makes me wonder whether i should be going out and trying some psychedelics but uh yeah i mean like you know for anybody who has not read the book uh i can honestly tell you that it's just so meaty that there's so much in it and you'll have to revisit some of these ideas over and over again um, so I have one last question and Steven, I've asked you this question in the past, so I'm curious to see kind of how you'll answer it, uh, again, and, and both of you will answer this, which is how we finish all our interviews, um, at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
5: Well, I mean, it's all in how you love the chase, Right that's the that's the real center of it is the chase of this the 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 journey the the process of it so really how much fire and light and energy and love you bring to the chase and how much you you know as josh waskin would say you got to follow your funk or bruce sterling said you got to follow your weird right i mean there is there is no one path towards greatness or unmistakability right there there it there's it's an end to one sample you are your own path you are your own perspective you get to do that so I think you know how much you 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 love the process of doing that because there's no there there, there you're never going to arrive so I think what makes somebody unmistakable right where I see them and go oh my god I have to have more of them in my life is they're fully committed to the chase with their heart So that's my answer <laughs>
1: Yeah and, and and the funny thing is is that you know so so Stephen just said the follow your weird right so it's sort of almost the exceptional the outlier and and I would sort of echo it but with the exact opposite um perspective which is uh, I think Osho that kind of that that crazy wisdom guru who um got in all kinds of trouble he once said something along the lines of you know um being, being odd or unusual is, is a dime a dozen, but, but the ordinary man, the truly ordinary, meaning integrated in every way, is, is actually the most extraordinary of all. And, and so I think, that, you know, the possibility for us to be pursuing almost that Greek ideal of Anthropos, right, and, you know, the, a perfected man, uh, sort of uh, Leonardo's uh, Vitruvian man, that sense of absolute integrated balance. Body, mind, spirit, right, vocation, relation, um, profession—all of these things firing on all cylinders. Uh, on the one hand, it is it is utterly average, and yet that average is is one of the most extraordinary things we can pursue these days.
2: Hmm. Well, uh, you said it better. <laughs> well, this is this has <laughs> been really amazing, as I expected uh, it would be. Where can people learn more about the book? Uh, and, and learn more about both of your work.
5: stealingfirebook.com dot com is, uh, where you can hear about the book and you should definitely go there because we are running a little bit of a sale campaign with some amazing goodies. Um, so that was my two second advertisement at the end of your podcast. I apologize for the gratuitous <laughs> advertisement. Um, StealingFireBook.com, but really they're great goodies. Um, Also, FlowGenomeProject.com. And, you know, please go to the Flow Genome Project. There's a free Flow Profile there. It's a traitology. And it basically says if you're this kind of person, you can find Flow in in these directions. And maybe if you would have found the Flow Profile long before you had to wait into your second act – um, maybe it would have sped that process up a little bit. Who knows? Yeah, well, so that um, was actually d- gratuitous advertisement number two. Knock <laughs> snuck in there. It's not, you, you like how I did that, right?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're, You know, I have no problem with these gratuitous advertisements because they provide a tremendous amount of value. Like, I, I'm going to go look at that profile right after we get done. <laughs> awesome. Um, awesome. Well, I can't thank you guys enough. This has been just fantastic. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that next time on The Unmistakable Creative.
6: I think a lot of it comes down to community and this will probably come up several times in our conversation, but really having people around you who see the best in you all the time and invite that person to show up continuously. Mm -hmm. I think especially my freshman year, so I went to Santa Barbara. It was the 15th choice on my list of universities. And I was like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> and, and that first quarter was certainly harsh and was really lucky to have really awesome sweet mates, really awesome people on my floor and people who were there from you know my high school and then people I just met. And I think being able to have a community like that, that's like, you're not an F up Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you really are here and you're meant to be here. And, you know, if I didn't go to that school, my whole career trajectory would be totally different. And so really, really fortunate that I didn't, you know, just leave and be like, this is not for me. I need to go somewhere else, but really, you know, sticking it out and just going through it and making the best of it. And so um, community is a really, really important part of things.
2: Christine Lai joins us to talk about tapping into communities to maximize profit, potential, and
3: happiness. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage,